Medical Monday is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Discam. Pharmacists to care. And good morning to you. My name is Kathy Kayla. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. It is such a privilege to be able to do uh, the Discam Medical Monday show. So, uh, if I told you about a disease that people who who suffered from it were considered outcasts because of their skin issues during the Middle Ages, um, and that urine was actually used as a treatment in ancient times for this disease. Let me give you some other facts. Uh, This is also pretty interesting, that sufferers were shunned from society in biblical times. Uh, We're talking about psoriasis, and it may have been one of the skin conditions called tsaras, or uh, uh, I don't know what today is uh, referred to as something else. In the Old Testament, uh, a common belief of the time was that people with a skin disease had brought it upon themselves. So... uh, We've decided to bring in a dermatologist. You know him. His name is Dr. Irshad Mohammed Isak. And uh, welcome back. I'm, I'm so happy that we haven't scared you off. Uh, it's, always a pleasure. <laughs> it's always a pleasure being in studio with you. Did you know about that, that people who used to have psoriasis were actually shunned? In fact, um, people in the past were shunned. And today there's quite a, um, a poor stigma attached to having psoriasis as well. So that... Um, social uh, interaction is certainly still impacted on in today's times. Uh, you'll find that a lot of people have got problems in their employment, uh, especially if it's, an, if it's a type of job that requires interaction with customers uh, or, in, in, on, or in an interactive environment. You'll find that um, if they are patients, they have difficulty with their social and, um, and family relationships. So things tend to break down, uh, and mainly it's because people don't understand the disease well. And people are ostracized, people are marginalized, um, people are labeled various uh, different negative labels. And that also adds further stress onto the patient. And we all know that in psoriasis, a stressor, be it a financial stressor, be it a social stressor, be it another physical stressor, certainly drives the inflammation of the disease. So what used to happen in biblical times or in ancient times, unfortunately, because of lack of information, you'll find that that trend of uh, ostracizing patients uh, still continues to this day, unfortunately. Because it's obviously very, very visual. Absolutely. Depending where on the body it is. Describe for us what it looks like for anybody who doesn't know what psoriasis looks like. Psoriasis can vary in its presentation. Uh, But if you could look at the, the commonest... Uh, type of psoriasis or variant of psoriasis. Uh, usually you have these red scaly patches. Essentially a patient will initially describe it as being a vague rash. But they have these red scaly patches or it looks semi- like dry skin. It looks like dry skin. But in the in the in, in the common type of psoriasis this will usually present itself over the elbow area and over the knee areas. So mainly the extensors. You can get scalp involvement. So in milder cases you can get patients who just complain of, I'm, I'm having a dandruff, uh, commonly mistaken for being a scalp fungal infection. So they go off and get an antifungal shampoo, but somehow the problem doesn't seem to subside. Psoriasis can also pre- present itself behind the ears. Um, and in um, the more extensive um, body surface area involvement, you can get involvement of the lower back, the upper buttock area, and uh, sometimes the umbilicus as well. So in that in that picture that I just described is the is the common variant of psoriasis or psoriasis vulgaris. Uh, but you can get psoriasis that affects the nails exclusively. Uh, so you can get... That must be very hard to treat. Dot, extremely difficult to treat. In fact, you get dotting of the nail or you get entire nail plate damage completely. Uh, you can also get uh, psoriasis that occurs in the genital area without having psoriasis anywhere else. So psoriasis can present... In, va- in various areas in the body. And then on the other extreme, you get types of psoriasis that can, that can involve or affect more than 90% of the body's surface area. Wow. So it's quite difficult to work out where the normal skin is and where the abnormal skin is. It can be as extensive as that in some cases. But bear in mind that there's one other, one other system that psoriasis tends to affect as well. And that's the musculoskeletal system. So you get a lot of patients who are actually labeled as having arthritis and who are labeled predominantly rheumatoid arthritis. 
when in fact later on it could be several years or even more than a decade later they end up with a rash which when they see a dermatologist or even their gp uh, someone makes the diagnosis of psoriasis and then in retrospect the arthritis diagnosis then gets changed to psoriatic arthritis and um, the psoriatic arthritis can be quite debilitating in 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 patients you'll find that you can get arthritis that psoriatic arthritis that can occur on its own with or with or without skin involvement so interesting i mean i've never th- i've never realized that what looks like a skin ailment and dry skin can actually be something that is affecting your joints that it's it's so much more than just you know a dry skin or the, the, the appearance the joint involvement in psoriasis can occur without there necessarily being any overlying skin rash so although you may have the skin rash elsewhere you can also get joint involvement at another location on the body so the rash itself or what's happening in the skin is not necessarily directly affecting the underlying joints so for example if in the case of a patient with psoriatic um um psoriasis vulgaris who's got lesions over the elbow and the knees for example it is not necessary that if they've got joint involvement then the, that the affected joints are going to be the knees and the elbows they predominantly could be having the small joints of the hands and feet involved so the digits get involved you can get axial skeleton involvement so in other words spinal involvement sacroiliac joints so in, in other words where your pelvis meets the sacrum near the vertebra at the back yes you usually get sacroiliac involvement and you can also get in some cases what's called an enthesitis where the tendons meet with the bone so for example the achilles achilles tendon right. where the tendon meets into the heel you can also have an inflammation of that meeting point So commonly and that would that would then manifest in a different obviously in pain in in your absolutely. heel in, but it it could be a little patch of dry skin on your hand on your hand and 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 remember that the joint involvement and the skin involvement do not their severity do not run parallel to each other so you could have somebody with predominantly arthritic involvement or joint involvement with very few or no skin involvement at all which makes diagnosis practically impossible if you if you've got this joint you have to have a fair amount of suspicion to be able to tie the two up and obviously when you've done your x-rays and you've done your skin biopsies and you've investigated the patient properly you can sometimes make one unifying diagnosis so instead of calling the patient a non-specific arthritis or labeling them just as having a skin rash you then begin to realize that there's more than one one um organ involved and in this case it will be the musculoskeletal system together with the skin and often you will find patients who've got enthesitis that occurs on their on their heels they are sometimes misdiagnosed as having a plantar fasciitis which in, which in itself is a very diff- difficult condition to treat what is that because you have a a sheet a a, a a a stiff sheet that underlies the bones of the foot okay so between the skin and the sole of the foot you then have this sheet that runs almost the entire length of the foot in plantar fasciitis what happens is that the foot basically be- the, the 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 fascia or that sheet becomes inflamed and you'll find that even when patients walk they'll tell you that predominantly when they have um, when they are walking for 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 long periods of time or try to walk for long periods of time they end up with solar pain 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 on the sole of the foot and sometimes what happens is that they actually have got psoriatic arthritis or an with or an enthesitis and the diagnosis sometimes is not actually made together alternatively they sometimes are diagnosed as having heel spurs or calcaneal spurs spurs in the calcaneus small where bone calcium, outgrowth yeah where the where the calcium has just grown into like these into a small uh, into a small hooks. spur like, yeah. like you would see them on the on the heel of a, a, a for cowboy boot yes. that's used to dig into a horse to spur it on to run sure. you'll find that when you do the x-rays you may not necessarily find a heel spur and you'll find inflammation that's occurring in the tendon so psoriasis can be a very enigmatic disease if you don't have a high suspicion to be able to investigate the patient is there is there a blood test that that can diagnose it 100%? unfortunately there isn't a blood test that can be used for the diagnosis 
Uh, if you look at skin involvement, the diagnosis mainly is a clinical diagnosis. So it's the pattern of involvement, the type of the rash, where the rash is, uh, the history of the rash would give you a fair amount of details as to whether this is psoriasis or not. In more difficult cases, we can um, embark upon uh, a skin biopsy and then you, you, you may see some characteristic changes. Although when you've got palm or plantar psoriasis that occurs on the palms and soles, uh, can be a little bit more difficult to make the diagnosis, but nevertheless, skin biopsy usually is the way is the way to go. But but blood tests tend there isn't anything reliable that we can use to make uh, a diagnosis of psoriasis. Which is strange because one would think that if it's a disease, you can pick it up in the blood. The w- what? W- w- the problem in psoriasis is not so much what's happening in the blood. The problem in psoriasis is that you have the outermost layer of the skin. That's called the epidermis. And usually it takes somewhere between 75 to about 90 days for the lowermost layer of, or the innermost layer of the epidermis to work its way to the outermost layer of the epidermis. That's the layer that you're going to be wiping dry after you have a bath or a shower, the outermost layer. So as the cells go from that innermost layer to the outermost layer, they mature in their, in their function. So they are able to then provide a good barrier to the outside. The problem in psoriasis is that that cell turnover rate is between three to four times faster. So the cells that are at the lowermost layer of the skin present themselves to the outermost layer of the skin somewhere between 20 and 30 days. Okay. So what happens is that those cells are not mature and therefore can't provide the normal function of the skin. And that's why it looks different. And one of the reasons why they mm. scale is because part of the maturation process is that the cells tend to change shape from a very cubic dice shape at the very lower layer to a more flat sheet-like shape on the top. And that is what. And part of the maturation is that the cells begin to, on the outermost layer, loosen themselves somewhat in order to make space for the new cells coming out. And that's the reason why we shed our skin in the form of, our, of dust. Our household dust right, when is squamous cells. That's everyday sloughing of, of the skin. Correct. Mm. That's part of the normal maturation process of the cells. The problem in psoriasis is because the cells go through that process so quickly, they don't mature properly. So they are unable to dislodge from the neighboring cell. And that's what results in the stacking of the cells, the thickening of the skin, and the overlying adherent scale on the top. So actually what it is, what I'm, as if I'm understanding it correctly, yeah. is your body's way, I mean, how it manifests, is your body's way to try and correct what's happening under the skin. Well, that's what most of the treatments are actually aimed to do, is to slow down that rate, giving those cells a chance to mature properly and thereby flattening out and obviating the scale. Now, all that I described is occurring mainly in the skin and that is driven by certain chemicals that occur normally in the skin. So, doing blood tests doesn't necessarily right, assist Right, because there's you. not a lot of blood flow on, on uh, the epidermis or the dermis as you, as you say. As such. So, you don't end up being able to pick up those chemicals readily in the bloodstream. Yeah, so there's no, no markers. There, as, there's as very, pure, very poor markers. Look, you, you could go into a situation where you would probably do genetic studies for somebody. But in majority of cases, we don't tend to go all the way down that road, mainly because there are other more convenient ways and cheaper ways, cost-effective ways to be able to make the diagnosis. Because we do know that genetics does play a role in, in some patients. That was actually going to be my next question. Is, so is, is there a genetic is, link? Yes, there is a, there is a genetic, a genetic um, link. We think that there is a problem on chromosome 1, particularly uh, in a location on, on the chromosome that's called the SOS1 gene. And we think that that undergoes mutation, resulting in those cells then undergoing a quicker turnover rate. If you have a parent who's got psoriasis, confirmed diagnosis of psoriasis, You've got about a 35 to 40% chance of the child having psoriasis thereafter. So there seems to be some sort of autosomal dominant um, inheritance. And we think that the 
penetrance, in other words, how it presents itself, can vary from being weak to strong. So some patients do develop it, and some patients don't develop it. Some some children may develop it, but not to the same extent or patterns as the parent. You may also that, find that could be purely because because it's the penetrance by stress because as well. not all of them will present with the with the same symptoms or pattern. So you may find a parent who is severely affected and the child's got um, maybe two or three five rand coin sized areas, uh, which, is, which is out of, um, out of sync with, what, with the severity that the parent has got. But then if you bring into the, into the game a whole lot of other environmental factors, or other influencing triggers, that child may eventually evolve into somebody who's affected with a larger body surface area. So it does vary. And there has been studies to show that if you have two parents who've got psoriasis, then your chances of having psoriasis is between 60 to 70%. That's for the child. So, yes, there is a, certainly a genetic um, predisposition for, for children with parents with psoriasis. So interesting. So interesting. Uh, my guest is Dr. Ishad Mohammed Esak. He is a dermatologist, and uh, we're talking about psoriasis. If you have any comments, any questions, then uh, please get in touch with us. Join the conversation. You know, he's been on the show many times before on the Disc and Medical Monday. He knows his stuff, and, uh, you know, it's, it's very, it's such a pleasure to be able to, uh, you know, have guests who just, you know, you can throw any questions at him. So uh, this is how you do it. You can SMS 34519. Those, te- those uh, texts are charged at 1 Rand 50, or uh, I think they're called VAS rates. Whatever your cell phone company charges you for an SMS, you can also uh, WhatsApp us for free on 061-895-1019. You can email us from anywhere in the world on air at chaifm.com. How do you spell chaifm? C-H-A-I-F-M dot com. And uh, Maria Matia, she says, uh, she says she's really, she's really enjoying us, enjoying Medical Monday. Thanks, Marie, Miriam. Nice to uh, nice to hear from you. All right, coming back, I'm going to talk about you know can babies get psoriasis? Are specific ages more susceptible? Is psoriasis linked to other diseases or conditions? I'm going to talk about that right after this. Medical Monday is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Discam Pharmacists to Care. I'm Kathy Kayla. This is the Discam Medical Monday. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, my guest is Dr. Irshad Mohammed Esak. He is a uh, He's a dermatologist. We're talking about psoriasis. Now, if you don't know what psoriasis looks like, it looks like a little patch. And if uh, I've just got to think my memory, um, it's almost like a little red patch. It's raised and it's got like little flaky, scaly bits that come off. And it looks like just a dry patch of skin. But uh, if you weren't listening earlier, then uh, let me tell you that... It can be a disease. Well, it is a disease. But how about this? You get pains in your joints with certain types of psoriasis, but you've only got a little patch maybe on your shoulder or on your elbow or on your head or one part of your body. Can you imagine how difficult that diagnosis is? So uh, we're talking about psoriasis. Dr. Saka, can babies get psoriasis? It's extremely rare to see psoriasis occurring in children. Um, anywhere from about the age of 10 and below, extremely rare. However, um, I think with your, with your previous description of psoriasis, you probably will freak most mothers out because there are other pediatric diseases that can look very similar to psoriasis. Um, disorders, common viral infections that are usually transient, last sometimes between six and eight weeks without treatment. Um, d- d- Disorders like psoriasis rosea can look very similar to psoriasis, uh, but psoriasis in itself very, very rare in children. But that having been said, you find that there are two age peaks for the development of psoriasis. There's one age peak around the age of 15, and there's another age peak around the age of 50. Um, It appears that those who develop psoriasis around the earlier age peak of 15 15, they seem to be triggered by usually a streptococcal sore throat 
So we think that that particular bacterial infection is what sets the inflammatory cascade going. So if and that it, can cause diabetes as well. Um, the, not, the streptococcus doesn't streptococcus also do something with type cost, one? It 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 has an it has an association with certain types of renal failure. So um, glomerulonephritis actually can occur as a result of streptococcus as well. Wow. So you'll find that those particular patients, whether they've ha- whether they have a genetic predisposition or not, some patients tend to get triggered into the development of psoriasis by a streptococcal sore throat. And if you actually get the history, you'll find out they've been to a GP before, a few weeks prior to that, and then the rash started. And if you keep a close eye on them, you'll realize they've actually have got, have got psoriasis. And how many people think it's a reaction to the medication, maybe? Yes, and, and, most, and, and, and psoriasiform drug reactions can look almost exactly like that. The thing about psoriasis that occurs as a result of the post-streptococcal sore throat is that they tend to have these small confetti-sized lesions, about uh, half to one centimeter in diameter with an overlying scale. Some generally tends to, be, uh, uh, tends to occur on the, uh, on the trunk. So if you've got, again, that index of suspicion, you'd begin to connect the dots and ask the correct questions. And in the older patients, the ones who are in their f- uh, around the age of 50, they tend to have an association with their with the arthritis. So like I said, they're commonly misdiagnosed as having some sort of joint pain, lower back pain, very vague, non-specific. No one can really put their finger on it. And then the rash starts. Would it come and go, the pain? Or would it the pain constant? can vary. The, the pain can vary in intensity uh, through different times, or rather, for example, on a month-to-month basis. But the pain can also vary in intensity on an hour-by-hour basis in a day. Most patients like you would see in somebody who's got rheumatoid arthritis. A lot of them complain of early morning stiffness, where they have this lack of fluidity of the joints when they get up in the morning. So in severe cases, you may find that some patients may be wide awake in bed, but because they've got inflammation of their joints, they have difficulty reaching for their cell phone or reaching for the alarm clock. Um, They have difficulty just getting out of bed and getting going. And when you have involvement of the small hand uh, of the small joints of the hands and feet you'll find they may have difficulty or take a long time to go to the bathroom in the morning holding on to their toothbrush just simply brushing their teeth grabbing a coffee mug because they have difficulty with their grip and a lot of times that simple or those simple de- uh, um, activities of daily, daily living can become very difficult for some of these patients and, it, and some of them may, may complain of early morning stiffness. And you're talking about young people. It, it, you're not talking about very old people. No, no. These are, this can be quite debilitating. I mean, if you've got psoriatic arthritis that's involving the, the hands, you may have difficulty holding on to something as simple as a pen. Wow. So it does then begin to impact on getting up, having breakfast, getting into the car, grabbing your car keys, turning the key in your ignition, things that you and I may take. Holding your steering wheel. Holding, as, uh, gripping and, a and turning gun. the corner. Absolutely. I mean, that, that uh, uh, actually accounts for so many bad drivers, uh, now that I think about it. But uh, things that we may take for granted, but it's actually quite a challenge for a patient who's got psoriasis, or psoriatic arthritis for that matter. Absolutely fascinating. Didn't I tell you he's knowledgeable? I absolutely love speaking to Dr. Isak. Um, my guest is Dr. Irshad Mohammed Isak. He is a dermatologist. We're talking about psoriasis. And... Uh, very interestingly, in the year 200 uh, before the Common Era, the Greek physician Galen coined the term psoriasis derived from the Greek word sora, as in P-S-O-R-A, meaning to itch. But the condition he was talking about, scaly skin on the eyelids and scrotum, is what we now call seborrheic dermatitis. We didn't get the first accurate definition of psoriasis as it's known today until much later, into, uh, well into the 1800s, in fact, when Robert William, the English physician considered to be the founder of modern dermatology, described it as circular or oval, oval skin lesions topped with dry scales and surrounded by a red border. Interesting stuff. Okay, yeah, uh, I just want to go to our text line. Thank you very, very much. Uh, coming through from Danielle. Thank you so much, Danielle. Uh, 
Danielle says, hi there, my husband was diagnosed with palmoplantar psoriasis last year. Uh, he has been to multiple doctors and dermatologists. He now lives in the UK and most of the doctors at the NHS has most of the doctors in the UK NHS, that's the National Health System, stummied. He has been on multiple medications, including cancer medications, which damages his liver long term. Uh, he has just finished a course of medication that thinned his skin dramatically. He has flare-ups and it gets really bad where his skin on his hands and feet crack and bleed not to mention the amount of thick skin that is sloughed off. Is there anything he can do to help manage the symptoms? Diet changes, perhaps, looking for any advice or insight into this condition from Daniela. Thank you so much, Daniela. What a difficult, difficult situation. Okay, palmoplantar psoriasis is one of those variants of psoriasis that affects predominantly the palms and the soles. You can get non-pustular types, and you can also get pustular types where you can end up getting lakes of of pus that accumulate in the epidermis itself. Um, what she's describing is not uncommon, where you have the skin uh, becoming thickened. If it becomes thickened, you lose its its um, its suppleness. Yes. So, in just extending your 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 palm or opening you're your palm get up, those cracks. you're going to end up having fissures. That becomes extremely painful. Now, you can imagine applying a lotion or a cream or having a bath with a soap, whatever the case and may be. It gets in it will burns like hell, yeah. So it's very debilitating for most patients. And the problem here is that the management um, can vary. She, you, you may have heard she mentioned that she had been, her husband's been using... Cancer uh, medication. Uh, yeah. What's that, methotrexate? Most likely methotrexate. If she's mentioning that there are liver side effects... Most likely methotrexate. Methotrexate can be used um, for the treatment. There are other you, by the way, did you hear that collective gasp? A lot of people on methotrexate for arthritis or whatever don't even know that it's a cancer medication. It is, yeah. It's, but it's used, it's used, for, it's used quite extensively. It's huh? used quite extensively. Um, um, cancer medication, yes, it is. It's used in, in, in quite a few cancers. But bear in mind that the, that the doses that are given for certain cancers um, vary in terms of they are way, way, way higher in, uh, in, um, in psoriasis. Uh, you'll find that the reason why we use drugs like methotrexate is because methotrexate tends to reduce the bone marrow's ability to produce certain types of cells. And there is a type of white blood cell that drives the development of psoriasis, a cell called a lymphocyte. Methotrexate interferes with lymphocyte production. So the thought or the mentality or rationale behind it is that if you could limit the the culprit in driving the inflammation, you reduce the inflammation in the longer term. But then again, you, you don't need those high doses for it. Palmoplantar psoriasis tends to respond a little bit better to the vitamin A derivatives or the retinoids. Uh, I'm not sure that it's been tried for this particular patient. I'm sure that somewhere along the line, cortisones have been used either orally or topically for a long period of time, she's mentioned things like skin thinning. Um, the, there are a, a other options for this particular patient. Um, phototherapy or light therapy can be used as well. And if it's only localized to the palm and, palms and soles, you do get phototherapy units that cater specifically um, for those areas. So it's uh, probably about the size of an open exercise A4 book or an, or an A3 book. Those panels are about that size. You basically go in. And the, and the nice thing about those panels, because they are smaller, you're not irradiating the entire body with ultraviolet A or ultraviolet B. Um, you're just keeping the ultraviolet light therapy localized. Problem with that mainly is logistics, because you require treatment, especially at the beginning, somewhere between about two to three times a week for several weeks on end to reduce the, to reduce the inflammation. But some patients do respond to ultraviolet therapy. So you can, in some cases, perhaps even go to the point of buying a unit which is for, for palms and soles is not too expensive, um, which you could use at home. It could be, make things a little bit more convenient. And then there's an, another, I'm going to use the word newer, but commercially they've been available for at least the past 15 to 16 years. Um, a group of drugs called the biologics. The biologics are special drugs which work like um, they are able to switch on and off certain chemicals 
without interfering with other chemicals. And the biologics in this particular case are used extensively in psoriasis, particularly in patients with psoriatic arthritis. The other indication is usually patients who have got resistant or stubborn skin psoriasis, whereby the quality of life for the patient is really poor, and the patient has tried things like methotrexate, the retinoids, uh, phototherapy, they've tried um, um, cortisones, um, and they've been failing on treatment or they've had lack of good response or they've run into side effects on those particular medications. So a case can be made to justify their use. Um, probably it would need to be done by a specialist, so either a rheumatologist or a dermatologist. The main problem here is the cost can be quite prohibitive. Um, and the funding can become really a problem for most patients. However, they tend to work very, very well. Okay, so I hope that that helped you, Daniela. Uh, Joni wants to know, how do you tell the difference between psoriasis and eczema? Great question. Thank you so much, Joni. Uh, by the way, Daniel, Daniela has also said he does. In, it is, in fact, methotrexate. And uh, she also goes on to say that he does get the pustules. So in that particular case, then the vitamin A drugs will probably be, if he hasn't tried them Thus far, what's that like? Your Rakuten, um, sister drug, yes. Um, which Rakuten basically that's a trade name for a drug called isotretinoin. Um, acetretin actually works uh, quite well, which is like I said, the sister drug. Um, the the pustules probably would need to be managed with a, with a, with a vitamin A drug. Bear in mind that your retinoids, like acetretin, also have side effects. On the liver. So if the patient was taken off the methotrexate because of liver side effects, uh, depending how severe that side effects was or what the liver function was, uh, I'd be a bit cautious about starting them on a retinoid, uh, especially if I haven't um, checked the liver function for that particular patient first. Okay, so let's get back to Joni's question. How do you tell the difference between psoriasis and eczema? It can be very difficult. Even in, even in specialist hands, uh, you'll find that the, 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 there is a certain uh, considerable overlap between the presentation of the two disorders. Both the disorders tend to be itchy, although the textbooks will tell you that psoriasis is not itchy. If you were to ask any psoriasis sufferer, they'll beg to differ. Psoriasis can be itchy, especially if it's completely inflamed. So itch, not really a helpful symptom to, to differentiate the two. Uh, what may help, number one, is that the eczemas tend to occur on, if we take, for example, atopic eczema. The common form of What eczema, does atopic mean? Atopic is the term that's, that's given to patients who've got some sort of allergic predisposition. Okay. So allergic rhinitis, allergic sinusitis, allergic conjunctivitis, asthma. Right, so it's a re reaction. So you can get eczema when you eat gluten or wheat or Absolutely. whatever it is. Okay, so that's what you're talking about. So in the, one of the more common types of, of, of eczema, if you look at atopic eczema, atopic eczema will occur in the hollowed areas on the opposite side of the elbow and behind the knees, whereas psoriasis occurs on the extensors, which is on the knees and on the elbows. Ah, okay. So the distribution may, may assist you. However, if it's more widespread, again, difficult to tell the difference. Bear in mind as well that Psoriasis has got a certain genetic predisposition or runs in, will, would run in families. There's also a hereditary form of eczema that can make it difficult to differentiate as well. Usually you'll find that eczemas tend not to scale. If you've got to take under close examination uh, a magnifying glass, something as simple as that, and you've got to examine the area, you'll find that the, that the fundamental problem in the skin in an eczema is fine, small bubbling. So it's what we call vesiculation or very small, minute bubbles. Whereas in psoriasis, you tend not to get that unless the area is secondarily infected. Eczemas tend not to scale or flake generally, whereas psoriasis will scale or flake. So using a combination of the distribution, the history, also you'll find looking at the finer detail of the lesion itself. It may give a specialist a good indication as to whether you're heading down a psoriatic road or whether you're looking at, at an eczema patient. But to the untrained eye, I, I, even, even GPs, I don't blame them. I don't blame them 
for getting those diagnoses wrong. Well, it sounds like they're very, very close. Because the differences are very, very subtle. And yet they are so incredibly and yet, different and yet, diseases. And yet psoriasis is driven predominantly by a lymphocyte called a T-helper lymphocyte type 1, whereas eczema is driven by a type 2 T-helper lymphocyte. So that's what's going to be my question. Is, is psoriasis an autoimmune disease? Because that's what I was understanding when you were describing exactly what's happening on the different levels of the skin. It's almost the body's autoimmune reaction to something. In an autoimmune disease, technically speaking, if you were to kind of dissect that that term, you are referring to a disorder whereby the body misrecognizes itself and attacks itself. Yeah. Psoriasis does not do that. The in the in the body's immune system is responsible for the inflammation, but your body is not not technically speaking attacking itself. It is driving inflammation. It is a subtle difference between the two. It's unlike a disorder like like lupus, for example, right. whereby you have developed antibodies that are attacking different. End organ targets. It could be your heart. It could be the heart valve. It could be the covering for the heart, the covering for the lung, the lung tissue itself, the vessel lining, the skin itself, anything with the, lupus. the kidneys. Yeah. So those are predominantly the targets for lupus. But there you have damage to that end organ. And usually the damage becomes progressive and irreversible as time goes by. Whereas in psoriasis, you have the body's immune system that's driving inflammation and increase cell turnover. Slight difference. So I, if, if I were to examine, for example, a medical student, and if my question was list autoimmune diseases, I wouldn't expect them to, put to include psoriasis in that, in that list. Okay. Because the pathogenesis or the, the way the disorder occurs is slightly, slightly different. All right, uh, unsigned message coming through. Thank you very, very much. It says, please help me with fungal folliculitis. I think that's how it's pronounced. Uh, nothing is helping. I've tried Nozoral. Nozoral shampoo and Peverol. Okay, most importantly, folliculitis. Uh, this is completely off the topic of, of psoriasis, but since we are here now, Folliculitis can see, be taking advantage of having <laughs> such an expert in studio. You can SMS three four five one nine or zero six one eight nine five one zero one nine. My my guest is Dr. Ishad Mohammed Esak. He's a dermatologist. The, the the folliculitis can be as a result of of many different causes. If we look at folliculitis, you can get the infective types, and the infective types can then be broken down into predominantly bacterial and fungal. What is folliculitis? Is that like where your, your hair follicle hair folli- gets like a, an infection? Correct, an, an, a hair follicle infection basically. It can occur anywhere. Bearing in mind that your thoughts may be only about the hair bearing areas. Scalp, eyebrows, underarms, genital area is where you would think that you've got hair. Well, if you're a man, it could be your legs, it could be your legs, chest, it legs, could be chest. anywhere. But bear in mind that on our bodies, we've got hair follicles almost everywhere, except probably the palms. And... Not all follicles actually are productive of a hair shaft, hmm. but we've got a follicle there, nevertheless. So this person specifically has mentioned that they've had a fungal folliculitis. The question that first has to come about is, is it a folliculitis? Because there are many other disorders that can affect the hair follicle. They can look very, very similar. And secondly, is, this, is the cause of the folliculitis fungal? The chances are that if they're not responding to antifungals, is this a bacterial folliculitis which antifungals will not cover? Hmm. That may be the reason for the for the for the failure in treatment. So how do you establish One what way, kind it is? What I normally do is I would basically either do a biopsy for the patient or if they're developing small pustules on the top of the, the, the follicle as part of the of the in, of the infection, you could take a sterile needle or a sharp blade and just gently open up the top of the of the pustule and send that pus swab off and have that uh, grown at the lab and it'll give you an idea as to whether I've got a bacteria or I've got a fungus and you get a better idea from there and predominantly this t- if it's a if it's a, f- a fungal folliculitis predominantly yeasts tend to cause the problem from the fungal group Interesting. in which case you probably if it's widespread and resistant to treatment 
you're probably going to have to go for an oral an, an oral antifungal. It's otherwise quite difficult to get to get rid of those. But the risk factors there would be things like jacuzzis, hot tubs, uh, sauna, um, steam baths, uh, public gyms. That's where you tend to pick up these type of things because the warmth and the moisture would make it easy for yeast to infect the area. Absolutely fascinating. Um, psoriasis, getting back to psoriasis, and thank you very much for answering that question. Uh, it's a disease. Where does it come from? Where in the body does it come from? Do we know? What causes it? Psoriasis is mainly localized cutaneous psoriasis. Like I said, it's only two, only two organs that are involved. It's predominantly in the skin and or the joints. That's it. Psoriasis has got no other um, association with any other disorder or any other organ for that matter. There's only two systems that are, that are predominantly involved in psoriasis. And it's not caused by a bacteria or a virus or a fungal, the, but it's exacerbated by stress. It's not caused by a bacteria or fungus, but bacteria and certain viruses can influence its development and progression. What do I mean by that? A patient may be predisposed to the development of psoriasis, but there's still no disease. Let's take, for example, I mentioned to you earlier about the younger patients who develop a streptococcal sore throat. It is in the body's attempt to fight off the streptococcus in the sore throat that is where the immune system kind of becomes a bit overactive, for lack of a better term, and that can then trigger off the psoriasis. Okay. If you look at patients, for example, who've got HIV disease, there's a very, very strong association between psoriasis and predominantly the types that affect large body surface area, there's a strong association between psoriasis and, and HIV. So as patients go from being initially infected with HIV, then have their viral loads beginning to double and triple and increase exponentially. So they're beginning to seroconvert into then becoming HIV positive and now developing antibodies. Sometimes in that particular process, you'll find the body's immune system isn't working as it should. That's when the psoriasis basically begins to overtake them. And a lot of times you'll find that, especially at the, at the state hospitals, you'll find a lot of patients who will present with this overwhelming so-called rash in inverted commas. And when you see them at the dermatology clinic and you investigate them, you'll realize that the underlying trigger in this particular patient was the seroconversion um, for, for HIV illness. And that Very is when you actually end up making the diagnosis of HIV yeah. because they presented to the derm clinic with psoriasis. So interesting. So in that, it does follow the same pattern as other diseases. The minute we have a compromised immune system, whether it is short-term for stress or whether it's long-term in terms of uh, HIV AIDS, we're going to see manifestation of diseases. And psoriasis is one of those, especially if they're genetic markers. I won't use the word just a compromise in the immune system. Psoriasis in itself is a disease where you have, like I said, a slight overactivity of the immune system. But any change that the immune system has to undergo, be it compromised and suppressed, for example, in HIV, or, for example, if you've developed some sort of other intercurrent illness where your body has to upregulate the immune system to fight off another disease, you can get psoriasis developing as a complication or, or a sequelae of that particular change in the immune system. So either the immune system going up can give you psoriasis or the immune system going down can trigger off psoriasis. Sarah, um, Sarah sent us an SMS, but we've only got the first half. Well, I mean, sorry, not the first half, the second half where it says from Sarah. So we haven't got your full SMS. Could you please uh, let us know? 34519, that's the SMS line. Those SMSs are charged at 1 Rand 50. You can also join the conversation, if you like, on WhatsApp, and that number is 061 Eight nine five one zero one nine. You've re you've really got the next few minutes to send through your messages. My guest is Dr. Irshad Mohammed Esak. He is a dermatologist. We're talking about psoriasis, and uh, I wanted to ask you: Is uh, psoriasis linked to any other diseases? Okay, so you've mentioned HIV/AIDS. You've mentioned uh, rheumatoid arthritis. Um, psoriasis actually is not, well, technically speaking, it's a standalone item from rheumatoid arthritis, commonly confused with rheumatoid arthritis. But apart from that, psoriasis essentially has got no other associations. It's usually it's a standalone disorder. Um, one must bear in mind that 
as a result of the psoriasis itself, you can get, for example, as a complication of psoriasis, you can get mood disorders. So patients can become extremely depressed, suicidal, as a result of their psoriasis. I would, I would understand that, especially so when you say... You know, I, 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 won't, I won't say that psoriasis is, is associated with other disorders itself, but other disorders can rear its head as a complication of psoriasis. Um, tea tree oil, turmeric or fish oil, do any of those help? Um, let's first start with the turmeric. The turmeric basically tends to be very, uh, is known, well known to be an antibacterial. Um, the problem with it is that turmeric tends to be quite messy to use. It would stain the bed linen, stain your pajamas, stain everything you're basically using. It's that, that yellow mustardy color. Uh, the thing about the turmeric is that it's easy to apply, but once it dries out, turmeric no longer has got that antibacterial function. So it just basically creates a whole mess. In the case of psoriasis, I wouldn't say that it has much benefit. The tea tree oil, however, seems to have some sort of anti-inflammatory in it. Oh, by the way, bear in mind that turmeric and or tea tree oil, some patients can develop a contact dermatitis to it. Ah, so you can have... So just be a bit, a, bit, a bit aware. Because one of the things about psoriasis is that psoriasis can develop in areas where the skin has been inflamed or traumatized, a phenomenon called kubnerization. If you incur, I mentioned to you, phototherapy, for example, is well known to improve psoriasis. So sunlight may be of value, but if you overcook yourself and develop a sunburn, you've traumatized the skin. The skin is now already inflamed. You're going to trigger off psoriasis in other areas in the same way as you can do with any item that you applied to the skin. So what happens is that you may find that at, at some point in time, you may, rather than improving the psoriasis, you may end up with triggering the psoriasis. So just be a bit aware. Maybe you want to use tea tree oil, although it has its benefits in terms of reducing inflammation and itch. Maybe use it in a localized small area first. See whether and put it, it into it. mixing oil, perhaps, you, that you it's could, not neat. And it's not that very, very strong. But the ideal area to test it will be the inner aspect of the elbow. That's where we would do what's called a... A, a, a random open application test. Right, so where they put the needle in when when you go for blood tests, just on the inner, just on the inner part of that, yeah. where where the where the bone is, you can apply it on there for a one or two days, see whether you react to it or not. If you don't, probably will, would have some sort of benefit in reducing the inflammation. But if you've got widespread disease, unlikely to give you a, a okay. an improvement. Very quickly, um, early intervention. <coughs> Does early intervention and uh, diagnosis mean that you have a better prognosis? And can it be cured? Is there a cure for psoriasis? In one word, cure for psoriasis, no. Once you've been labeled with psoriasis, you're probably going to wear that label forever. There is no cure for psoriasis. But bear in mind that psoriasis waxes and wanes through, through your life. Obviously, depending on your, your, your various social stresses and economic stresses and financial stresses and whatever, your psoriasis can get better and get worse. The idea behind treatments is to keep patients longer in the better phase of the disease and increase the time between them, them having flares, right? So, no, you can't actually cure psoriasis, but there's lots of, lots of things that you can do. So you have to manage it. To manage it well, and like any other disease, the earlier you catch the patient and the earlier the, diagnose, the correct diagnosis is made and the earlier you institute treatment, you can keep the, 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 the disease well at bay and patients can live a very, very good quality of life if not a normal a normal quality of life and bearing in mind the psoriasis is probably one of the most common dermatological disorders that we actually end up seeing probably in this around the same incidences as um, or slightly less than than something like acne because almost more or less two percent of the u.s population and in some literature you'll read uh, originating out of other countries as well about two percent of the population suffers from psoriasis us dermatologists, we tend wow. to get we tend to get the more difficult ones uh, to manage, but majority of them don't even realize they've got psoriasis to the point where they don't seek medical help. And some of them, well, they might just go to their GP. Go to the GP, and majority of the GPs can actually do a, a very good job at managing psoriasis. So we don't even encounter those particular patients. But psoriasis is a lot, lot more common than most of us think. Um, finally, are there complications if it is left untreated? 
the inflammation can become so widespread that the body's the the the, the skin is unable to do its function. Some of the functions that that are, that become impaired is one. You'll find the body is, has difficulty resisting um, infections from the outside, so you can get psoriasis. It becomes complicated with a skin infection over and above that. Then you have a problem with thermoregulation or regulation of temperature. Our skins are exceptionally important in 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 thermoregulation. With inflammation and getting rid of toxins, and our, our skins are biggest organ. Absolutely. Yeah. So you'll find that when you have the skin being perpetually inflamed and large body surface area involvement, you've got increased blood flow through those active psoriatic plaques. So you're going to radiate heat a lot easier, and you'll find that patients have got this difficulty in deciding whether they're feeling hot or feeling cold. They may have rigors or shivers, or they may have fevers at the middle of the night as a result of the psoriasis, especially if they've got large body surface area involvement. You can also, for example, with massive amounts of scale being shed on a daily basis, a lot of that is protein. Patients can become hyperproteinemic. So in other words, in their bloodstreams, they have low protein. If you've got low protein in your bloodstream, fluid leaks out into the tissues. They then become swollen, like a cardiac patient becomes. So it becomes leg swelling. I've seen patients in my in my career, even especially when I was training, where the lower half of the body is completely, for lack of a better term, blown up and soggy, the mm. skin. So... Yes, those are all the complications of psoriasis. And a lot of the times, with those who've got high body surface area involvement, you have to have them admitted and have all of those parameters corrected before you can actually have them discharged. And that's where we have to leave it this week for the Diske Medical Monday. My guest is Dr. Irshad Mohammed Isak. He is a dermatologist. And thank you very, very much for joining us. And thank you, Dr. Mohammed. Dr. Ishad Mohammed Thanks, Dr. Ishad. It's always a pleasure being here. <laughs> it's wonderful. You've got to come back soon. Um, just finally, uh, a fact about, about psoriasis that I didn't know. In 1872, Heinrich Kubner, a German dermatologist, made a major discovery about psoriasis that he noticed that skin that had recently been damaged by animal bites tattoos or other traumas were more likely to develop psoriasis lesions. Today, we call this the Kubner phenomenon. That's the phenomenon I was explaining to you earlier. Isn't about that this. interesting? Absolutely. There we go. You see, the guy knows everything. Listen, we've got the Culture Vulture up next. Thank you very, very much for joining me today. Thank you for all of the, the messages. And I uh, wish you a wonderful week. God bless. Stay safe. We'll see you same time, same place next week. Bye. Medical Monday is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Discam. Pharmacist to care.